So the more we do the, you know, the more you preach, the more you you kind of start to understand why sometimes pastors will start a sermon with a, with a joke. Uh, cause if you start with a joke, it's nothing serious. So if you stumble along while you're getting the nerves out, it's okay. The joke still works. But I have no joke, so we'll continue on. <laughs> Alright. So, three weeks ago, we had the pleasure of hearing Brother Paul, uh, deliver the message. Uh, his sermon was on Psalm 51, and he mentioned that he loved that psalm so much. It meant so much to him that he could actually preach Psalm 51 for weeks and weeks and weeks on end, right? And when I heard this, I got excited, right? I I peaked up a little bit. Because it reminds me of the Reformed tradition of taking a passage or an entire book of the Bible and working through that passage verse by verse, section by section. Now through the years, there are some pastors who have famously gone extremely slow through passages. So for some examples, John Calvin, he actually preached 159 sermons on the book of Job. And I don't know about you, but I think about, all right, so you got Job in the beginning, you got this whole, you know, Satan and, you know, the up in heaven thing, Job loses it. In the end, you got God and Job talking, but the main section is there's a whole bunch of bad advice from his friends. I don't know how you get 159 sermons, but he does. Martin Lloyd-Jones, he actually preached 372 sermons on the book of Romans. This was his Friday night service. Each sermon was at least 50 minutes long. And he had, though he only preached 372, he would have gone further except his health began to decline and he retired and he only got to Romans 14, verse 17. He had two whole chapters left to go. John MacArthur, he took over 40 years to preach through the entire New Testament on an average of four verses per week. But my favorite by far is a Scottish Presbyterian by the name of James Durham. James Durham, for a period, he preached 72 consecutive sermons on Isaiah 53. That's one chapter, 12 verses, 72 sermons. 16 sermons were on the first verse alone. The original publication came in two volumes, and it was 1,100 pages long. Now, one of the reasons why these men's and other and others like them, they did this is because they wanted to learn everything they could from every single text. The scripture was precious to them. They wanted to really see everything that God has for them in this text. But the only way this works is through hard work. You can't just look at a verse and magically you're going to now preach for 72 sermons on a single chapter. You're not going to be able to read through it a couple times and going to be able to preach for a few years through a book of the Bible. But no, this is hard work, slow, tedious, mind-stretching work. It is struggling with the text. So this this idea of work, this points us back to our brother Danny, how he preached. It is good for us to work. We're called to work. But today we're going to take it up a little bit further. and We're going to talk specifically about hard work. Not just work, but hard work 
in the church. We're about hard work in the church. So today we're going to be in Colossians chapter 2, verses 1 through 5. Colossians chapter 2, verses 1 through 5. So as you begin to turn over there, join with me in prayer as we begin. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we just come before you now. We come before you as your bride, as brothers and sisters in Christ, united with you, united in faith, with one Lord, one faith, one baptism. Lord, we just come before you saying, please open up our hearts, open up our minds to hear the words that you have for us today. Begin to speak to us and show us how we can apply these words, this passage to our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So again, Colossians chapter 2, verses 1 through 5. The word of the Lord says, For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you, and for those at Laodicea, and for all who have not seen me face to face, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, to reach all the riches of the full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments, for though I am absent in body, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. So the first thing I want us to see is it says that Paul, he says, I want you to know how great of a struggle I have for you. Paul struggles for the church. The word here in the Greek is the word agon. It's where you get the idea of agony. There's an intensity with this word. Hebrews 12.1 tells us that we're to run with endurance the race or the agon that is set before us. 1 Timothy 6.12, Paul tells Timothy to fight the good fight or to agon the good agon. And then later in this second Timothy 4 7, he tells Timothy, I have fought the good fight. I have agoned the good agon. There's intensity. The Greeks use this word to describe Olympic training. The idea was that you're going to, this is, you're going to train, you're going to work, you're going to struggle to the point of exhaustion. And a good example of this idea of working ourselves to exhaustion is in the sport of ultra marathoners. So a marathon race, you know, you're going to run, you're going to run 26.2 miles. You know, if you're good, you're going to be somewhere and take you about three hours, four. If you're not so good, six hours, a little bit more. But for ultra marathoners, the runner, you're going to be running for at least a hundred miles. Those are the short races. They can get well into 200, 250 miles. You're going to be running for 24 to 36 hours on the short end and upwards of 90 hours on the, the for the longer races. These races are brutal. They're grueling. It's a guarantee that as you run, your body will ache. Your knees, your hips, they're going to be on fire. Your, t- your feet are going to take a beating. You will get blisters. The be- Your feet are going to take such a beating, and I don't understand why, but your toenails will actually just fall off because you're beating yourself up so bad. As you go, your body's going to begin to overheat, to overexert, to such a point that you're going to drink some water and you're going to immediately throw it back up. You cannot keep any liquids down, any food down, nothing. 
But after running all day and you're only about halfway done, your body's exhausted, you're dehydrated, you're really pushing yourself, you're not functioning well. But at this point, because of the darkness and the exhaustion, now you will begin to hallucinate. There's stories of people that will be running in the middle of the night and they will have a full-blown conversation with a friend who's 300 miles away asleep in his bed. They have no idea. They're just hallucinating. This type of, this is agon. This is struggling. This is training. This is pushing their bodies beyond what we think is even possible. And this is the intensity of what Paul is talking about. He's saying that he struggles for the church. He gives everything he has for the church. His life is consumed by the church. He's not struggling just for a day or just a few days. It's not just, but he's struggling day after day, week after week, year after year. He struggles. He agonizes. He agonizes to his dying breath. This is why Paul can say in 1 Corinthians 15.10 that he worked harder than anyone. He struggled. But do we struggle? Can we say that we struggle? Can we say that we agonize for the church? Can we say we work for the church with the same intensity as an Olympic athlete or as an ultra marathon runner? Or is church just something that we think about here, think about there? Is it just a box we check on our weekly to-do list and nothing more? But notice that Paul is not aimlessly struggling for the church. He's not just going and just struggling and going in a hundred miles an hour in a hundred different directions. But he has a purpose. He has a focus. Just as the Olympic swimmer focuses on swimming, the runner on running, the lifter on lifting, Paul is also focused. And he's going to struggle and he wants to have three things happen. The first is Paul says he wants to struggle for their hearts to be encouraged. We see that in verse 2, that their hearts may be encouraged. Now, Paul could have used this word kaleo, which means to call out. It's the same word that Jesus uses in Mark one twenty when Jesus comes to the disciples, to the fishermen, and he says, come and follow me. He calls them out, and they leave everything, and they follow Jesus. He could have used this. He says, hey, man, hey, you know, he could have said, we need to just call each other. Just, hey, hey, how you doing? You know, kind of being pleasantries, kind of nice and everything else. But no, Paul doesn't use kaleo. He uses this word parakaleo, which means to cry out. There's an emotional intensification. It means to cry out, to implore, to strongly exhort, to comfort, to greatly encourage. But notice also the prefix para is the same that we get for parallel. It's this idea of coming alongside. So what we have here is a picture of Paul saying that he wants to come alongside the church and give them encouragement. It's not a mere pat on the back. It's not just saying, cheer up, it's going to be okay. This is not the kind of encouragement that Paul is saying. But we're going to come alongside. We're going to invest time. We're going to put out effort. We will make sacrifices. I'm reminded of the movie several years ago now, uh, the movie called Facing the Giants. I don't know if everybody's seen it, but there's a beautiful, beautiful scene in there. So it's a high school football team, and the coach comes to one of the players, his name's Brock, and he says, hey, Brock, 
Come on, we're going to do a death crawl. Now, a death crawl is where you get on your hands and your feet, your knees are not allowed to talk, to touch the ground, and you crawl forward. And as he crawls forward, he as he, he starts to make his way over, he looks at the coach and says, hey, I bet you I can get you to the 30-yard line. And he goes, no, 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 no. I think you can get to the 50. And he looks at the coach and like, sure, I could get to the 50 as long as there's nobody on my back. And he goes, no, you can get to the 50. I believe in you even with someone on your back. But I want, whether you do or you don't, I want you to do something for me right now. I want you to promise me that you will not give up. No matter what happens, no matter how far you go, you will not give up. You will give me everything you've got. Okay, coach, yeah, whatever, sure. No, I'm serious. Do not give up. Okay, okay, fine, fine, fine. But we're going to do it a little bit differently. He pulls out a bandana. He puts it around his eyes, Brock's eyes, and he goes, what is this for? Because, well, I don't want you to see things that will distract you and cause you to give up too quickly. Okay, whatever. So he puts it, ties it up. He gets on the ground. The other player gets up on his back, and away they go. Brock starts going, and as he's walking, as he's crawling, the coach is right there beside him saying, all right, keep going. We got this. You go. I believe in you. You can keep going, keep going, keep going. But as he's, as Brock starts saying, man, this is, I'm getting a little tired here. He goes, I know, I know, you got this, keep going, keep going. And then at one point, Brock is starting to really, really struggle. He's slowing down. And he starts telling his coach, he starts telling him, hey coach, he's heavy. And at this moment, the coach says, I know he's heavy, but you've got this. Keep on going. Keep on. Do not give up on me. Push farther. Keep going. Do not quit. I'm running out of strength. Then you negotiate with your body and you find more strength. It hurts. I know it hurts. But do not give up. Let's go, Brock. Keep going. You've got this. And by this point in the scene, the coach is no longer standing. He's on his hands and his knees. He's literally face-to-face with Brock, encouraging him in his ears. He goes, it burns. He goes, then let it burn. Do not stop. Do not give up. It's too hard. It's not too hard. You have more in you. Keep going. Do not stop. I can't. You can. I know you can. You can do this. Keep moving. Dig deep. Don't stop. Keep moving. Finally, Brock collapses. He says, Coach, I'm sorry. This is the best I got. I've got nothing else in me. But Brock didn't make it to the 30. He didn't even make it to the 50. He made it all the way 100 yards to the other end zone. This is Parkleo. That coach came alongside Brock, encouraged him no matter how hard it was, he encouraged him. This is why Acts 14.22 tells us that Paul strengthens the souls of the disciples by encouraging them. We need to give this kind of encouragement to each other. Because we're not promised an easy life as Christians. We're in spiritual battles. And at times we're going to stumble We stagger, we feel defeated, we feel like giving up. But when we see our brothers and sisters like this, we're to come alongside them. We encourage them, we comfort them. We remind them that Romans 8.37 says, we are more than conquerors. Matthew 16.18 says, the gates of hell will not prevail. Psalm 30 verse 5 says, weeping may last for the night, but joy comes in the morning. Psalm 23, 4 says, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, 
I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. We comfort each other. We encourage each other. But notice how if we come alongside someone, that means we have to move with that person. I may come alongside somebody and then they fall further into the ditch. If I stayed where I'm at, I'm no longer alongside you. I'm no longer able to encourage the way that I need to encourage. I no longer can par kaleo. But if I come alongside and then you go further down, I'm supposed to go further down to you and to continue to encourage. If you're here and you go right, then I go right. You go left, I go left. Wherever you go, I go. Because we're going to get through this together. This is the kind of encouragement Paul struggles for. He agonizes for. He gives everything for. But notice the second thing. Paul struggles for them to be united in love. Paul continues this theme of strength by saying that we are be to be united. Because there are strengths in numbers. So we can see this very easily. I have just a simple deck of cards. You take a single card with no effort, they can rip in half. I can do this again and again and again. It takes no energy at all. But if I take an entire deck of cards and I put them all together, there's strength in numbers because now I can take them and I can twist and everything else and I cannot tear them. They may bend, they may crinkle, they may not look as good, but they did not tear their whole because there's strength in numbers. But this is a problem with many Christians today. They're self-centered. We focus on ourselves. We think of our individual experiences with God. These people, they don't come to Bible study. They don't come to Sunday school because they just rather study by themselves. They don't go to prayer meetings because they're just pray by themselves. They don't come to church because you know what, I've got the Holy Spirit and that's all I need. I don't need the church. But when the winds and the waves of life come, when life gets hard, when the pressure is put on them, they tear because they're not united. But it's not just unity for unity's sake. Rather, we're to be united in love. Colossians 3.14 says that love is the bond of unity. Love is the glue that holds us all together. Love unites the family of God. And we accomplish this love by bearing each other's burdens. Galatians 6.2 says that we are to bear each other's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. And the law of Christ is to love God with all your heart, soul, and mind and to love our neighbors as ourselves. So we are united, and we're united in this love when we bear each other's burdens. A good example of bearing each other's burdens can be seen by, by watching emperor penguins. We've got a nice little picture for you. They live in Antarctica, where the average temperature is negative 70 degrees below. It's impossible for a single penguin to survive by themselves. The only way that they survive is they create these huddles and they stay warm. But notice how on these that are on the outside, that wind is still pelting, that cold is still hitting them. 
At some point, each of those penguins, their body temperature will begin to lower. Their body will actually start to fail. And at that moment, the huddle will slightly open. They will be able to walk into the center of the huddle. The huddle will close around them, warm that penguin up, and another penguin will take his spot on the outside of the huddle. This is how we bear each other's burdens. This is how it is for Christians. Because Satan is tempting us. He's trying to destroy us. We're in spiritual battle, but we survive through unity. When the trials of the world become too much for our brothers and sisters to bear, when we see them like the penguins where they're starting to falter, they can't go on any further, we say, we step in and we say, let me help you. Come. Let us warm you up. Come. Let us bear this burden for you. This is how we're united in love. But thirdly, Paul says that he struggles for them to fully know Christ. So he says, to reach all the riches of the full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ. But Paul's not just talking about growing in the knowledge just for the sake of knowledge. He's not trying to win a Bible trivia contest. He's not just trying to show off how much he knows about God, but it has a purpose. Isaiah 45.3 tells us that God, when God reveals mysteries to us, It is to show us that He calls us by name. So when God reveals something, it fosters an intimate relationship. Think of a married couple. There are things that the husband knows about the wife that nobody else knows. And there are things about the wife that the husband knows that nobody else knows. Say they have this intimate relationship with each other. They reveal things about themselves that nobody else knows. This is why we should learn to grow in Christ, desire to grow in Christ, to develop this kind of relationship. So that the more we learn of Christ, the more of God reveals Christ to us, the greater our relationship with God becomes. Paul wants the church to have this relationship. He struggles for this relationship. He agonizes for this relationship. He gives everything he has for this relationship. He struggles. He agonizes to the point of exhaustion. And so are we. We're to be this way. But I guess I, as I sit, I can stand here and I, and I can already hear three excuses of why, nah, I'm okay. I'm not going to struggle for the church. Nah, 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 that's not for me. That's okay. That's, I'm sure that's for somebody else. So let's go ahead and talk about the excuses. Let's talk about the elephant in the room. Excuse number one. Just because Paul worked this hard, that doesn't mean I have to work this hard. Paul's a special guy, right? He was the apostle. He wrote all those books of the Bible. That was him. That's not me. 2 Timothy 3.16 tells us that all of Scripture is God-breathed. That means everything in this verse is breathed by God, in this Bible is breathed by God, approved by God, and it's the equivalent of God saying these exact things. When he says, I breathe these words, it's the same as if he came here and verbally gave us these words. That includes all the verses, including 1 Corinthians 11.1, where it says, Paul says to imitate me as I imitate Christ. So God is telling us to be imitators of Paul as he imitates Christ. 
So we know that Christ struggled for the church. He sits there and he was exhausted. He had to, the only way that he could sleep would be to go hide in a boat and go across the sea. He worked hard. Paul works hard. And we're supposed to imitate him as he imitates Christ. So therefore, we have to work hard. So if Paul struggles, we're to struggle. If Paul wants the church to be encouraged, we need the church to be encouraged. Paul wants us to be united. We should want to be united. Paul wants us to grow in the knowledge of Christ. We should want the church to grow in the knowledge of Christ. We just don't have the excuse to say, that does not apply to me. Excuse number two. Ah, but I don't have any talents. Right? We hear this all the time. I have no talents. I can't work in the church. What can I do? 1 Corinthians 12.18 says that God has arranged the members of the body, each one of them. And he talks about each member having a purpose or a job. So each one means all of us. It means you, you, me, everybody. There's no exceptions. There's no get-out-of-jail-free card. No, God has arranged all of us, and he's given us a purpose. No, I understand not everybody's a preacher, not everybody's a teacher or a leader, but we still have a purpose. We still have things we can do for the church. We can still work hard. We can still struggle. We can ag on. I'm reminded of when I was probably about 15, we went, our church went to this youth conference. And while we were there, there was, during one, during one of the sessions and everything, there was a, a, a gentleman who gave the, started speaking, and he was a, linebacker for the Los Angeles Rams way back in the day. And he was talking to us about these kids. He's like, look, everybody has a job in the church. Everybody has a purpose. There's things that you can do. When you leave here, you go back to your church. There's things that you can do. Not all are just preachers. He goes, take me for an example. It took me a while to realize this. But when I, as I grew up, I lived a very hard life. It was so hard that it just made me angry all the time. I was just permanently angry. This is probably why it made me such a good football player, because I would just go out on the field and I took my anger out on the opposite team. Right? That's probably, that's probably why I'm in the Hall of Fame. He goes, but now, because of the grace of God, I'm not angry anymore. But I was angry for so long, my face just permanently looks like I'm angry. He's like, you don't want me working in children's ministry. I have a face that gives children nightmares. I don't want me there, right? But I can still work. And he says, you know what I'm really, really good at? Because when I go back to my church, I lead, uh, I, I help direct traffic. He says, because when this face tells you to park there, magically you park right there, right? So again, we all have a purpose. We all have something that we can do. And we can all struggle for the church. We can work hard for the church. God has arranged you for a purpose. God has arranged you to be here today in this church for a purpose, for a reason. We do not have an excuse to say, well, I have no talents. But this gets us to our third excuse. And this, the, the third excuse is, I, I don't know how to get started. I just don't know how. I don't know where to begin. And I get it. I have, I've been there. 
You used to come to a church. He's like, okay, I need to start doing something, but I don't know what I need to do. I, you know, I know I should, but I just don't know where. But this is an easy excuse to overcome. So if I could real fast, can I have all of the elders, the deacons, and the leaders, could you all all please stand? We all stand. So I'm having them to stand for a reason. Because wherever you're sitting, look to the person who is standing, the closest to you that's standing. After church, go ask them, where do I start? And I guarantee you they have places for you to start, right? You have no excuse. All right, y'all can be seated. There's plenty of opportunities, opportunities that you don't even know about, but they do. So you have no excuse. So as we recap, Paul says that he struggles for the church. He says that he struggles for their hearts to be encouraged. He struggles for them to be united in love. He struggles for them to grow in their knowledge of Christ. He's like, I struggle. I'm going to give everything I've got. I'm going to go. I'm going to work harder than everybody. I'm going to give to exhausted. And I'm going to do it for those three things. So the choice is yours today. Are you going to be like Paul? Are you going to struggle for the church? Are you going to work hard for the church? Are you going to work hard to encourage each other? Are you going to work hard to bear each other's burdens and show that love that unites us all, that's that glue? Are you going to work hard to help others grow in the knowledge of Christ? Or are you going to leave this place, go out to lunch, enjoy your day, and not think of church again until next Sunday? Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, Lord, we know that your, your scriptures have come and they've told us that this, this is not, this is not a, just an easy path which we get to take. But there's a lot of work involved. But it is worthy work. It is good work. It is work for each other. It has eternal consequences. So Lord, we ask that you just continue to open our minds to see where we need to struggle for your church. Where we can struggle so that we can be encouraging to each other. That we can come alongside wherever that may lead. That we come alongside and encourage and comfort each other. That we show us where we can struggle to be united in love and bear each other's burdens. But also to encourage us and struggle and show us where we can struggle so that we can show and teach each other the mystery which is Christ. So that we can develop that intimate relationship with you. Lord, again, we just praise your holy name and we thank you for all that you've done. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.